Live from the Lincoln Douglas Building in downtown Quincy, the only local show taking a principled stand on the issues of the day. This is how it happens. It's the natural process of things. The view of the entrenched is predictable, but it's also erroneous. With Sean Seacrease. We have an addiction in this country, not only to government welfare and government handouts, but more fundamentally to other people's money. And Quaid. Again, you're dancing with government. This is the morning meeting. You cannot continue to advocate for status quo when status quo has run the ship aground. On Talk Radio 930, WTAD. You ever have that occasion where something feels like old shoes? Like they were kind of familiar at one point, but you haven't used it in so long. It feels a little like uncomfortable. You got to break it back in. Now, it really wasn't that long ago that you had those shoes on. That's what this chair feels like this morning here on the morning meeting. Um, we don't cross the streams into too much personal business uh, on the show, but uh, I am just going to take a quick moment to say that uh, producer Josh uh, lost his dad recently, and uh, he is out today uh, in observance of, of some of that. And, uh, Josh, we miss you. We love you. And our thoughts and uh, prayers are with you and your family this morning here on the morning meeting. That being said, we're going to look at the Missouri scorecard in depth today. Aaron Baker, Axiom Strategies. You know, yesterday, Quade, you said that uh, you were glad that uh, Trump took the approach in his acceptance speech that he did mm-hmm. and didn't spike the football. Well, if you were missing the spiking of the football I think Aaron's oh, Aaron. going to pick it up and spike it repeatedly on the show today. In fact, <laughs> the ball might blow up. He he's well, part of the football he's going to spike is his own. Yes. Because he's going to say that his predictions uh were maybe the most accurate. I would say maybe he's going to say his predictions were the most accurate of anybody's in the state. He's going to turn in like I I know he has uh, polling groups that, that that he thinks are more accurate than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, don't be surprised if he says, they all need to listen to me because I got it more right than anybody else. And at the end of the day, looking at, because I wrote down his, not not just his predictions of who mm-hmm. he thought was going to win, but the, the... The score he thought they would win by. Right. And that's, that's essentially the margin. what he did. We've all picked football games, even if it's just amongst buddies or or whatever, uh, what he did, think about it this way. He picked an entire weekend of NFL games correctly as far as winners and losers, and on a few of them, he just got the margin of victory a little bit too low. Mm. I mean, that's impressive no matter how you draw it up. Well, and I don't know that anybody anybody who got the margins right as far right. as polling. I mean, well, and, and it, the, the question in, in Missouri and in a lot of places uh, that were forecast to be Trump states was how strong would his coattails be? And it turned out mm. they were a lot stronger than many people forecasted or modeled or projected. I would tell you the place where uh, he, he really shined were with the amendments. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, not, we're talking about Aaron, not Trump. Okay. I'm talking about Aaron uh, because because <laughs> because it, the amendments not only to get right, but he got the the percentages. Yeah, pretty well spot. Very on. close. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and that's a part. So it, I, I don't know if he's capable, but the elbow stuck up high in the air, <laughs> wrapped around the the back of his neck to pat himself on the back because he did a real. I mean, if you were listening to when uh, Aaron made his predictions, it pretty much came true. 
So we have that coming up in just about 25 minutes here with Aaron Baker, Axiom Strategies on the morning meeting. You know, we were talking about something the other day, and I want to give you the chance to, to share it now. Yesterday's so, show was so jam-packed, mm. thanks to Darren and Addie and, mm. and, and, and Dwayne and everybody who was with us sort of the day after to help us digest that. Uh, if you missed any of it, go back and grab the podcast. But you had mentioned to me when we were kind of in, in pre-show uh, production the other day that – and I, I knew this, but it wasn't something that had stuck out in my mind uh, two years now on the show for you. Oh, yeah. And, and you, you came on after that last election in, in 2014, and you were, you were starting to sort of delve into the cycle that you've been a part of. And it, not that you weren't paying attention and, and intelligently engaging before you were, were here on the morning meeting, but just how it's been different and kind of what you've learned and, and, and watched the country do in that time. Um, you're right. It's it's just about a little over two years. I came on when Brian was still here. Uh, if you remember, the, I was I was the third wheel for eh, a couple of weeks. Broke one of the show's uh, hard and fast rules <laughs> right out of the gate. Um, and and Brian stuck around through the uh, the midterms. Mm-hmm. And and. And then and then he left, and we almost, I won't say immediately, but it really wasn't that long after that that we started focusing on this election cycle. We have spent almost the entirety of two years building up to a couple of days ago. Now, if you and I haven't gone back and, and, and found those old shows. I mean, you, you can if you want. They're, they're out there. Yes, they're available for download wherever you download your podcast. If you want to, if you want to go check those out, but I'm I'm pretty sure that we started talking about this presidential cycle right after those midterms and what those midterms meant moving forward to this cycle. I mean, it literally began within a few days after the midterms last time. I think we've spent two years on this show building towards. A couple of days ago, not only on the federal level, though, but you remember two years ago was the election in Illinois that gave us Governor Rauner. And so people were pointing to these midterms mm. on the state level yeah. as a referendum uh, in the legislature of what the voters would think two years into uh, Governor Rauner's time in office. Of course, you had the huge uh, federal level games playing out. So it, it's been a wild two years. So I don't think anyone will be surprised if uh, coming up in the next segment, we kick off the countdown to 2020. <laughs> we, jo- we, we joked about that. We had a really good time. <laughs> and, and, and if either of us had had more time to put more production into this show, mm-hmm. we would have angered most every listener <laughs> yesterday morning well, it, it, by it, overproducing I, a, a, I think it's a punking. That, yes, I, I think it's something that it is would be satire. But would be satire on the level that you know it's going to happen. Oh, you know sure. the next cycle is probably going to start even earlier. I was reminded of an article uh, that I saw, and you might have seen this uh, from the note service as well. The predicting that in what five years Christmas uh, displays will be set up before Halloween. Yeah. It's yeah. sort of it, it's the political version of that where everything moves earlier on the calendar each cycle. What we were talking with Craig. Uh... It was a few weeks ago about some murmurs of Tom Cotton, you know, <laughs> take, taking a sniff around Iowa about, and we hadn't even had the election yet. So, uh, I, uh, that's a good analogy. It's a nice parallel uh, to the election cycles, especially 
when your side is not, quote-unquote, in power. And, and that's not to say that Republicans didn't have mm-hmm. political sway, but they didn't have the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. Well, now, now they do. So yeah, wherever there's a Democrat show that is the doppelganger to this one, are they having the conversation? There is none of those. We had all of our rivals killed. <laughs> that, that works. Yikes. Uh, well, but kill, in this definition of it, it would be, you know, re- ran them off the air. So okay. Uh, the, uh, the, the, somewhere, the discussion is going on, whether it's on air or in, in back rooms or, or, at, or at ABC, NBC, CNN. <laughs> who's going who who's gonna to be sent into Iowa? By the way, an Iowa that is if not mirroring Missouri in the deepness of how red it is, is not far off. This is something we'll talk with Craig about tomorrow, is how Republican Iowa has turned, and is it because that's the tone of the state, or was this more having to do with Donald Trump's coattails, and was Iowa always that red, and they just didn't vote, come out and vote, and it was Trump that got them there? Or is this Iowa's true colors now? It's kind of like Missouri. We'll talk with Aaron about that. Mm -hmm. Is this Missouri's true colors? They just got invigorated by Trump. Or is it the Trump effect? I'm going to vote for Trump. And hey, you down ballot guys, I'm going to go for you too. Right. And and there are some dangers in assuming those new profiles for states and, and for entire voting demographics. It's essentially like saying, man... That guy loves pancakes, but the only two choices on the buffet were raw radishes and pancakes. <laughs> you know, he man, I'm getting that guy a, a griddle, and I'm getting him some stuff so he can always have the pancakes he loves. Well, he, you know, he just didn't want radishes mm. is, is what it comes down yeah. to. So uh, there is going to be a lot of digital ink sort of spilled on that idea. I think over the next at least six months, maybe even 18 or 24 Uh, about an electorate that made a particular choice and were they down with that and angry or was it just the fact that they didn't want radishes so they grabbed whatever else was on Mm -hmm. the buffet and it's going to have far-reaching consequences for everyone who I think runs for office or is involved in a a political campaign and this tells you how how crazy it got. Uh, I was talking to my dad yesterday and uh, uh, Don's a a, a squishy middle-of-the-aisle guy. Okay. Like he, if, if you if you do something that costs money, he wrings his hand because we might not be able to afford it. But if you do something to reduce costs, and then someone else might have to do with a little bit less, he thinks you're mean because you know you made them do with a little bit less. Those so, are incongruencies. Yeah, he's, he's squishy middle. He was he was so upset with the, the, the not the way things went. He was a little surprised, as I think we all were. But he was so dissatisfied with the candidates. He did something that he's never done before. He told me to run for office. He goes, I, we don't Wait agree a minute, on he, a lot of things. Was he going to write your name in? No. I told him, well, there were, there were some extended family members who wrote in just various people as a protest. And uh, he did what I was doing here on the show and trying to explain to them, look, if they're not registered, you're just throwing it away. I said, sure. if it's family, at least I hope they voted for me. <laughs> I mean, it's family. Uh, but he was, he was sort of saying, you know, you, you'd make a good candidate. I said, no, I, I wouldn't. Because the the first debate I was in, I would say, I'm going to be a real leader, not like that squishy Attila the Hun who was too soft on people. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, you guys like me now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You wouldn't like me in charge. Yeah, that's, that's sort of that way. But if, if, and I bring that up for a reason, if this result gets people more involved and more engaged, I think the country becomes better 
because of the added involvement and participation of, of Americans. Well, and being more aware. Yes. Well, we complain about it all the time. People aren't paying attention. They don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. They just have their buttons pushed by a, by a media that wants them to behave in, in a certain way. And, and that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. It, it, you could make an argument for it happened on Tuesday, just not in the way the media thought. The media were pushing buttons. But they were pushing buttons they didn't think they were pushing. Or they were. They just didn't think it mattered. And now perhaps they realize it, it does matter. I don't know if they've had those self-introspective meetings yet. I'm going to guess no. Because after they pants themselves Tuesday night. and yeah, into, Oh, everyone's still hung over right when, now. Wednesday as far morning, as yeah. the, all of the hours that were put in in the late night and the work and then the, the immediate dissection yesterday. I think probably tonight through Monday, everybody's going to kind of catch up on their collective sleep. And then those kinds of meetings, I think, will start in the next week. Next week. Well, they have to have – they have to do something uh, because, well, their own – bubble of who they think they are got burst Mm -hmm. and that's something that they're going to have to have to deal with and how they deal with it will be interesting do they ignore do they realize that they have sway it's just that the reaction wasn't what they wanted or had prescribed right you know it'll be interesting to see how the media's collective ego deals with their own self-pantsing yeah, they thought they were dialing up the steps for a tango, and uh, we pulled our shirt up and did the truffle shuffle for them <laughs> at the gate. No, is essentially no, what no, button, <laughs> tango button, tango, truffle shuffle, guess what you wanted. This morning on the morning meeting, Aaron Baker, Axiom Strategies in just about 15 minutes, and irony on display next on the morning meeting. Giving conservatives a voice in the tri-states. I mean, this stuff moves people. It's the morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sean Seacrease, Quaid with you this morning. Oh, the irony. All of those liberals who wanted a safe space and for you to bow down to their white tower political opinion, liberal philosophies, and just do what they say. Turns out, when we say what we want to say, they don't know how to act like civil adults. The protesting that went on in parts of this country yesterday by defeated liberals was, I thought, well, one, I'm, I'm okay with schadenfreude, so uh, <laughs> their salty tears were delicious. Uh, number two, when you think you're the adult in the room and you don't get an answer to a question that you wanted and you reveal yourself to actually just be a child who acts like a a spoiled brat with no discipline. Mm -hmm. I mean, you reveal your true nature in that moment. Um, I was exposed to a couple of hockey coaches in my lifetime. I don't necessarily agree with this description, but they, they used to use it. They said hockey doesn't build character, it reveals it. And while I think character can be built... It's, it's those stressful moments that reveal the work that you've done 
on your character and how you handle yourself in defeat tells me so much more than how you handle yourself after an expected victory and the childishness of the, and, and granted, this is the marginal few. I know plenty of Democrats and plenty of liberals. We were just talking about mm-hmm. a, a former coworker of ours who uh, had voted for Hillary and has yeah, not Hillary backer. Yeah. yeah, has not been pouting and, and, and acting out, but rather encouraging people to, hey, stand up. As Addy said yesterday, put on your big girl pants mm-hmm. and, and get back to it. And, I, 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 and it's this acting out that I found so distasteful because it betrays what they say their image of themselves is. And I'm going to back it up a little bit. I'm gonna, maybe he wasn't a, a big Hillary backer, but he was definitely not a Trump guy. Right. He was one of those people that we've uh, dissected on the show that was voting against something. And he, leading up to the election, very vocal uh, out there about people who were backing Trump. I, to the point where I was concerned... You know, he was he was one of those, you know, go ahead and unfriend me type mm-hmm. of people on social media. Just just do it now. You know, and, and some of his friends were kind of like, hey, do you think you're kind of taking a hard line on this? Can we just can, can you know, your friends can disagree with you on some things? No. He said, Here's what's happened. After the election, it's kind of as if he's taken a step back and he's seen the escalation from even where he was pre-election. He's seen the escalation of it from there and decided, hey, 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 this does not, this behavior does not represent where we were, where at least he thought where they were at pre election. Mm -hmm. And all of the love, Trump's hate, has been crumpled up and thrown out the window. Hate is on full display. I know that some of these, that there are protests, that it's a peaceful protest. That's, that's fine. When the mics and cameras are turned on, what are you hearing? I was watching several uh, news networks yesterday after the show, and all of them were doing their due diligence to put people out on the street and uh, interview people who had voted for Hillary or not voted for Trump uh, to find out what their temperature was sort of after the election came in. And I was shocked. By the number, and, and they vet these people, ask them some questions, kind of take their temperature, see if they're going to be uh, a decent to put on camera. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them that I saw were the uh, unavowed Trump voter in reverse. And, and what I mean by that is that Trump, it turns out, majority that didn't talk to pollsters or told them something other than what they were going to do. They kind of did the same thing. Yeah, I'll be cool. And they were cool for about the first 20 seconds of the interview and then lost their mind. And you could tell it was in a way they had planned to sort of ambush that opportunity. And I was struck by it happening not just on one network or two, but all of them that I was tuning into yesterday, people who Mm. are willing to sort of act out that way and, and hijack the conversation to start protests to stop public transportation, uh, as we saw in a couple of towns, to do other things, uh, the not-my-president crowd. Yeah. This, these are the people who decried those who didn't vote for Obama the last time around and said yeah, they wanted to start this same conversation, and they said, what, you're, you're a racist mm-hmm. bigot who can't accept for it. Now you have that on full display, and the feet are the same size on this sort of living America, and the shoe fits very well on the other foot. It's, it's, it's interesting how how things have uh, occurred in the last 30 hours. 
because you, you you bring up that that the story was the same on, on many. It's like it's been weeks already, <laughs> and you're right. It's been like 30 hours since Hillary conceded. The uh, that the, the way the networks approached it and how the people they put on camera all kind of did did similar things. So you, so you look at the college campuses, you look at the cities that have had these protests going on uh, starting yesterday and continuing on into the evening and and uh, late into the night. Uh, you have to you have to start saying is the, is there a network of people? I, I understand they, almost all of our college campuses across the country are are uh, liberal bubbles, and can you imagine that there there's going to be so, some people who you know get their get their dander up and march around? Sure, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden now this spills out into Los Angeles, New York, Chicago. Philadelphia, Seattle, Philadelphia. Seattle, Oakland. Uh, that's this is you get the sense that this is a whole lot more organized and quickly. I, I didn't think that I, I was under no illusion that this, you know, that one, if Trump won, that there uh, wouldn't be any protests. But I didn't think it would happen this quickly. I didn't think it was almost like the the protesting network was already engaged and somebody someplace said you know enact order 66 and boom they all started happening at once coincidences that they all kind of sporadically occurred within a similar time frame i at this point in time i want some investigative reporting uh, on that and if there is a network that put all of this into action that has people in different cities across the country and people on different campuses across the country and said, let's get it ramped up now. That's the exact opposite of organic protests. This is, hi, uh, a form of astroturfing. There are people standing by who are, you know, ready to join in and be part of a protest because, hey, they don't have a whole lot else to do, but sometimes they're paid to do this. Are there paid protesters Going up and down, the, marching with these people? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, instead of just putting the camera on them and setting them up to say what, you know, deliver the message that this media wants them to deliver, if not at first, at some point within the interview, I want to dig a little deeper. Yeah, Find we'll out why this is all happening exactly at the same time. We'll see how this plays out, I'm sure, in the coming days. Aaron Baker, Axiom Strategies. He's our guest as we dive deep into Missouri next on The Morning Meeting. Where we go, others will follow. That's who we are. Even if it's not the best idea. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. This is Dennis Miller, and you're listening to The Morning Meeting. Here on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sean Seacrest, Quaid with you this morning. Joined by the prognosticator of prognosticators, a man who carries at least two crystal balls with him at all times, Aaron Baker, Axiom Strategies. Good morning, and uh, if you want to take a moment and spike the football, go ahead. 
One crystal ball is for ballot initiatives. The other one's for candidates. Well, that's how you can uh, sort of seemingly see the future. Eric Baker, Axiom Strategies. We'll get into Missouri and, and everything that the voters decided there in just a moment. But, uh, Aaron, your industry, what, what you do is, is to some people so obscure that they sort of misunderstand the industry. So kind of pull back the curtain if you're willing for a minute. What's it like for you after a big election day? Do you kind of catch up on your sleep collectively? Are, are you already clients are asking you to hit the ground running for information and positions for future uh, elections and ballot initiatives? Kind of what's this like in, the, in these days in the early aftermath? Yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of folks that work in politics will go and work for official offices next. And in Missouri, there's going to be a lot of big need for uh, Republicans to young Republicans to go and work for all these new office holders, governor, state treasurer, all these all these offices that are now under Republican control. A lot of campaign folks go to Capitol Hill and, and work there for a couple of years. Uh, from And then some of us are, are lobbyists and work in Jefferson City or, or different state capitals. And so it's just a cycle that we go through. Uh, we have municipal elections ahead, probably some special elections. In some of the more moderate districts, we're probably going to lose some of our stronger candidates. If, if Hillary had won, uh, you know, usually the, the cycle two years later would be a very good year for Republicans. Uh, now with Trump being the president-elect, it's going to be a little bit rough on the uh, off-term election, you would assume, for the Republican Party. So we'll probably lose some strong candidate, potential candidates for two years from now. Uh, but if Trump, if Trump or Greitens chooses some state senator or member of Congress to be uh, on their in their administration, there's going to be some special elections too. So there's always work to be done. Aaron Baker, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. Is this a Republican high watermark in the Show Me State? Yeah. So in a county in the county like I'm from, uh, Trump received 76 percent of the vote. Uh, that's that's nearly statistically impossible. Just get seventy six people, seventy six percent of people to agree on one person or one party. Uh, we were seeing similar to two thousand ten. Uh, if you had a Republican on the ballot, probably even better for a courthouse election in counties like Lewis and Pike County on on the Illinois border, uh, where Republicans maybe held two uh, courthouse seats out of let's say a dozen. Uh, if a Republican was on the ballot for a courthouse position, they won and, and defeated several incumbents all across North Missouri. Uh, you were seeing counties like Monroe, which has never elected a Republican in modern history, uh, sweeping in a commissioner candidate, a Republican commissioner candidate. Uh, high watermark, not so much for Missouri House or Missouri Senate, fairly close, but uh, it was quite a night, and we may never see one like it before. Aaron Again. Baker, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. Aaron, do we have to wait now to see if all of those who ran as Republicans govern as Republicans? And specifically with the governor's race, you had Greitens and Koster, who had recent longtime ties to the opposite party. So even though the R's were swept in, we have to see if one of them actually sort of governs like an R or if he governs more like a D. It, that's right. Governing is actually harder than campaigning. Um, you have to keep a lot more folks happy and, and work the media, et cetera, just even more than a campaign. 
For Greitens, though, I think he has a specific agenda, right to work, anti-tort reform, um, that, that he can go in and work with a legislature that has the same priorities and, and really get in and get some easy wins uh, quickly on, on some issues that, that have been out there for a while. So if he works well with the legislature, he could get a, a layup on, on one of these more uh, core issues that would be, that would be a good uh, governing type of thing and a good way to start off. How much of uh, Tuesday was a reflection of the temperament of the Missouri uh, citizen, and how much of it was Trump? I think it was mostly Trump. Uh, you know, we were seeing polling like that lieutenant governor's race just tied up, mm-hmm. and then and then Parson winning by eleven points. Uh, there were there was just increased turnout in rural areas, and I think that people just voted Trump. And typically in Missouri, we have ticket splitters. They were just unwilling to be a ticket splitter this time. They were holding even their county coroner accountable for being tied to Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. And um, I'm not sure that will ever happen again, but uh, it was it was strong and in the state and quite remarkable. Aaron Baker, Axiom Strategies, our guest this morning on The Morning Meeting. All right. Statistically unlikely, unless you're really good and have really good information, you went 13 for 13 on predictions. We even felt, you know, like we'd give you a a mulligan on your mulligan (laughs) when you called it uh, a toss-up for lieutenant governor. And you mentioned Parsons did end up winning by double digits. Were you surprised by the size of the margins that some of the candidates got? Because... That's what was shocking to me. Not that, that Greitens kind of roared in at the last minute and, and won. Not that, that Missouri went for some Republicans. But we were seeing large double-digit margins. Right. If we knew it would be a good night if, if Greitens won by three. Uh, he won by six. Uh, we knew it would be a good night if Blunt won at all. He won by, won by three. Trump, we had, you know, best-case scenario, kind of 11. He won by 19 in the state. Uh, Holly won by 17, Ashcroft by 20 points, Schmidt by uh, by 18 points. Again, we've just never seen never seen anything like this. And we talked about it la- last week that we won every single race as as predicted. But there are two statewide Democrats that remain out of eight statewide positions: Claire McCaskill and also. Our, our state auditor. Both of them are up for re-election in 2018. So you could see Republicans holding every single statewide seat uh, in, in after the 2018 election, whereas they just had Blunt and, and Kinder um, earlier this year. It's, it's quite a change. And really, maybe the legislature's supermajority was kind of a precursor to what was going to happen at a, on a statewide level later on in, in Missouri. Uh, statewide positions are just a little bit more reflective of, of the entire deep red that, that it is now. The area I think you you really shined, and maybe it, because of this, uh, the the amendments had less to do with, with Trump than uh, voting for a person or against an, another person, but you almost had all of these, even percentage-wise, uh, correct. Uh, it's like he has access to a research team and polling data or something. <laughs> 
it's almost as if our sister company is Rivington Research Group, which is, you know, one of the best pollsters in, in the United States, apparently, after predicting uh, a Trump win in, in several battleground states. But, yeah, I mean, uh, we were able to accurately poll these ballot questions, which isn't easy. You have to read through the entire ballot question. Uh, but Missourians voted for every single ballot question except for the two tobacco taxes. Aaron Baker, Axiom Strategies, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. The polling conversation is one that we've started to broach here on the Mm -hmm. show. You use these tools as a matter of course in your professional life. What does the polling industry think about today? Uh, Because I was was trying to explain this to someone who is a numbers guy here uh, at the station, and I basically said two things. Look, if people are going to withhold information from pollsters, the poll isn't worth as much. If people are okay with flat-out lying to people who do polls, then that is actually information you don't want because it gives you an incorrect sort of lay of the land. And if your information is incorrect, you can't make the correct decisions when you're developing a strategy, how to, how to, how to counterpunch in a situation, how to leverage seeming momentum because that may just be an illusion based on the fact that people don't want to give their opinion now to a pollster. Is, is the polling industry at a sort of a, a crisis moment, or are we just kind of knee-jerking after seeing them get it wrong with Trump? So there are two different kinds of polls. One is fairly automated. They're called IVRs. Uh, you, you get asked a question, you push a button based on your response. And the great thing about those is that you can get a really large sense. So... In the, in the case of, in Missouri, we went in the field the night before the election to have something to talk to reporters about on Election Day. Our sample size on that was 17,000. And so we let the raw data, and, and I, I think this is why Remington and, and Donald Trump was mentioning Remington's results at Battleground States. I think that's why Remington does such a good job is uh, Remington allows the data to speak for itself. And what a lot of pollsters was getting wrong was they would look at, gosh, the state's make party makeup is this. I'm going to manipulate the data this way to model it. They almost mess with it too much and overthink. If you really let the raw data speak for itself with a large sample size, you're going to get a much more accurate result. I think the thing, too, is people didn't realize the turnout uh, for Trump-type voters in a state like Missouri would be so significant. And then the turnout for for in Democrat precincts, African-American precincts, et cetera, would be so low. And I think that's why you saw such extreme results in the state. Moving forward, are Remington's applications going to be applied by other companies? Is is Remington looking at expanding? And, and you talk about quantifying the excitement level. People got out for Trump. People stayed home for Hillary and Democrats, can you quantify that moving forward? I don't think you can. I, I don't think you can. I don't think there's a way to to really consider how excited voters are. Perhaps part of it, too, is Clinton's supporters may have just thought that she was going to win, so they mm-hmm. stayed home not thinking that they would make an impact. Um, but I don't think it's possible to really quantify how excited voters are or what, what's motivating them. And, and whether or not they'll, they'll turn out. I think you're just going to have to get a large sample size of likely voters and let that data speak for itself.
Aaron Baker, Axiom Strategies, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. Uh, Aaron, we've heard a lot about anger in the country with this election. Is that something that uh, you look at that can be potentially leveraged or manipulated, or is that a substance that's just too hot to handle and, and best left alone? Boy, there there is a lot of anger right now, and, and I guess it's, it, it started with the anger that was taking place during the campaign. Uh, to me, it's just a lack of knowledge of civics as well and and understanding the electoral college etc but you know i i just think that time is just going to heal and like it always does and and folks will settle down but um there is a lot of angst down out there i do appreciate you know trump's words much more cool calm and collected than they've ever been Mm -hmm. uh in his recent speeches and, and that will help uh but there's a there's a lot of there is a lot of angst out there and and um Hopefully that will settle down. Do you have any liberal Democrat friends who are reneging on their promise to move out of the country if Trump won? <laughs> I, I I do have liberal Democrat friends, but they they never said that they would move out of the country. They're not they're not celebrities. Uh, Aaron, after the primaries, we talked about uh, who the winners and losers were, and I specifically remember Rex Sinkfeld being one of the losers because the candidates that he had uh, backed financially all, all lost. Who are the winners and losers? Uh, in the state at following Tuesday. So speaking of large donors in Missouri, uh, there's a, uh, sh- a roofing roofing manufacturer, David Humphreys, Tamco, out of Joplin, who spent millions of dollars on this election. Uh, Rex Singfeld did not really invest in, in the general election. David Humphreys did and, and backed Greitens, backed Hawley. Uh, he's, a, he's a winner. Uh, folks that want right to work in the state are are a, they are a winner. Uh, the losers will be trial lawyers who uh, thought that they had a, one of their own. Chris Coster going in and winning the the governor's race, um, and and one of the losers that that probably won't end up as a loser later on is is the ag community in the state. Believe it or not, so Farm Bureau, cattle, corn, soybeans all backed Chris Coster because he had backed their positions in the past, especially once he decided he was running for governor. Uh, and and they so they backed him, backed the Democrat for the first time in 100 years. And it did not go well for them. Now, Republicans in the legislature and probably Greitens will be pro-ag, as all Republicans tend to be. But uh, their investment and their endorsement of, of Coster uh, was a unique thing, and uh, they're definitely one of the losers of the election just, just in that case. And they're great organizations, and I think they'll bounce back from it. But uh, that, that, that would be one that would make my list. Aaron Baker, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. Aaron, on a national scale, we saw the Dow doing all kinds of flips and tumbles and then sort of reemerging yesterday, uh, realizing the sun comes up and America will continue its tradition. On the Missouri level, financially, have you talked to anyone, heard any news about a more optimistic Missouri? I'm especially thinking about the western border that it shares with Kansas. That Kansas City, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri area has been very competitive. Uh, States in recent years have made all kinds of overtures to business, uh, particularly financial businesses. Are you hearing anything that because of these election results that uh, Missouri is about to see some some growth? Uh, You know, I think I think as far as growth, again, it goes back to right to work. Eric Greitens is very committed to that. 
uh, and and tort, bringing tort reform back to the state. I don't think that that's border specific. I do think that it will make us actually more competitive in the in the you know Illinois border than than trying to keep up with Kansas, which is very aggressive, and we will probably never be that aggressive. But I think that as far as the national level, from Trump to uh, Missouri is very act based, and whenever you start talking about trade issues, Missouri typically benefits from uh, a, a liberal trade policy, so that might be a little concerning. Uh, but we are also a manufacturing state or, or have a history in that. And so, um, you know, that's probably a mixed bag. But I, I think from a uh, – on a tour reform level uh, for doctors and anyone that's interested in these labor issues, uh, it's going to be a very aggressive legislative plan that's probably going to go pretty quickly in Missouri uh, under, under Greitens and under this legislature. So that will be interesting to watch. Running it up on Illinois is like trying to win a race against someone with two broken legs. So I, I think Missouri's going to have it all over Illinois in the, in, the, in the at least coming years as we can't even agree on a budget or anything going forward in the land of Lincoln. Aaron Baker, our guest this morning, Axiom Strategies. Aaron, thank you so much for all your insights Thanks, running up to the election and then spending time with us today. Yep, no problem. We'll wrap it up next Thanks, here sir. on The Morning Meeting. Giving conservatives a voice in the tri-states. I mean, this stuff moves people. It's the morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. WTAD. It's the morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sean Seacrest, Quaid with you this morning. It still kind of feels surreal to me what? if this is the way that election night went down. You're still having trouble accepting it? I wouldn't say I'm having trouble accepting it. It just it feels a little surreal that uh, the country, which seemed to be trending much more liberal with the back-to-back elections of uh, President Obama, uh, with the, here in Illinois, we talked about uh, watching Tammy Duckworth get the win on a, a bluish night in a state that is, as you pointed out, lights up red when you look at the map, except for that corner up in the uh, upper northeast, and they sort of had their way with that. So Even Madison County was red. Yeah. St. Clair County, not so much, but Madison County was red. I'll tell you what, a lot of money is going to be spent over the next 18 to 24 months figuring out what this result means for the re-election of Bruce Rauner, the proxy battle that's going to go on between he and Madigan in that election. There's going to be a lot of dollars spent. We need to find the Illinois equivalent of Aaron and find out how that data's being crunched. We'll have to certainly do some searching on that here on the morning meeting. All right, much more coming up tomorrow. How the campaigns are dealing with the fallout and what you can expect as we run up on President-elect Trump. We'll talk with Craig Robinson, the Iowa Republican, tomorrow on the morning meeting. Morning meeting adjourned. Join us again tomorrow for the best talk in the tri-states. The morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD.